You're listening to The Dog Ate My Homework, a podcast with me, Melanie Doppler of Math Coach Connection. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to the second fifth grade decimal episode. If you haven't already listened to episode 21, I recommend going back and starting there to get some really important background information on how fifth graders build conceptual understanding of decimals before they start actually problem solving with decimals. In this episode, we are going to dive in to the problem solving strategies that fifth graders use to add, subtract, multiply, and divide decimals, as well as what you, the parent or guardian, can do to support your child in building that problem solving fluency. By the end of fifth grade, children need to be able to add, subtract, multiply, and divide decimals to the hundredths using concrete models or drawings, strategies based on place value, the properties of operations, and the relationship between addition and subtraction. Then they need to be able to relate that strategy to a written method and explain the reasoning used. What this means is that fifth graders need to understand how to solve these decimal problems and be able to explain why their solution strategies work. They also need to be able to check their work for accuracy and assess the reasonableness of their answers. Before I jump into the strategies, I do want to mention that fifth grade decimal operations are intense and the strategies children use for problem solving include a lot of different parts. So it might be hard for you to visualize the strategies that I'm talking about during parts of this episode. I highly recommend going to the download section of my website, mathcoachconnection.com, for a free listening guide for this episode. It includes pictures of the strategies that I mention in this episode that will be helpful as you listen or after you listen. I also want to mention that in learning to solve problems with decimals, children will use a lot of physical manipulatives and visual models before they move to efficient problem solving with symbolic strategies. It's that idea of go slow to go fast. Children spend time building conceptual understanding before they move to procedural fluency of solving decimal problems. So be patient with your child as they're learning decimals, and you can always help them refer back to visual models to rebuild conceptual understanding or to check their answers. So let's start with decimal addition and subtraction. I'm grouping these two operations together because the strategies look very similar. As I mentioned in episode 21, solving addition and subtraction of decimal problems is a lot like solving addition and subtraction problems with whole numbers like children did back in second grade. For example, if given the problem 56 hundredths plus 28 hundredths, a child can solve this by thinking about 56 plus 28 and then use the skills that they've been building since first and second grade to solve that problem. Then they have to keep track of where the decimal point belongs at the end. Making an estimation when they begin the problem can help them with placing the decimal at the end. For example, since 56 hundredths and 28 hundredths are both less than one, the answer should be less than one. And if they get even more specific with rounding, they could think 56 hundredths rounds to 6 tenths, and 28 hundredths rounds to 3 tenths, and 6 tenths plus 3 tenths is 9 tenths, so their answer should be close to 9 tenths. That way, when a child solves 56 plus 28 and gets 84, 
they can more easily decide if the answer truly is 84, if it's 8.4, if it's 0.84, or if it's 84 thousandths, and so on. In this case, it would be 84 hundredths because that is close to 9 tenths or 90 hundredths. Addition and subtraction of decimals can be deceiving. And what I mean by that is oftentimes children think it's going to be easy because how hard could it be to just add two and three digit numbers, right? Then they get frustrated when they find their decimal in the wrong place or it's not as easy as they thought it would be. Well, with a solid foundation of conceptual understanding of decimals, and with efficient addition and subtraction problem-solving strategies, with good estimation strategies, and careful attention to detail, then solving decimal problems is not bad at all. But each of the things I just mentioned is critical to children to be successful at solving problems with decimals, not just now, but as they grow and solve more challenging problems. So it's really not so easy after all, is it? To solve decimal addition and subtraction problems, children first start by using base 10 blocks. These are the same base 10 blocks that they use to solve similar problems in first, second, third, and fourth grade. Except now, the base 10 blocks have a new meaning. The sheet or flat of 100 represents one whole. The rods of 10 represent one tenth of one whole, and the small cubes represent one hundredth of one whole. So interestingly enough, the model for 56 hundredths plus 28 hundredths would look the exact same as it did for 56 plus 28, with five rods and six cubes, and two rods and eight cubes. But the meaning of the model has shifted, and that shift is important for children to understand. Children can then solve the problem by adding together the cubes, which are the hundredths, to get 14 hundredths, then regroup 10 hundredths into one tenth, and then they add the tenths to get eight tenths and four tenths. So altogether, their answer is 84 hundredths. This model is particularly helpful when children first start adding numbers that do not have the same amount of numbers to the right of the decimal point. For example, in adding 3 tenths plus 45 hundredths, they can model 3 tenths and 4 tenths and then 5 hundredths, and then add the tenths together and then add the hundredths. Or in the problem 1 and 5 hundredths plus 1 and 2 tenths, they know that they're adding 5 hundredths plus 2 tenths plus 2 wholes to get 2 and 25 hundredths. And that way they don't accidentally add the 5 and 2 together to get 1 and 7 tenths or 1 and 7 hundredths. This base 10 block model extends into a quick picture, which once children understand conceptually what's happening in these decimal addition and subtraction problems, and they understand the meaning of the numbers they're subtracting, this can become a very efficient strategy. So in this model, children can just draw a picture of the base 10 blocks to solve. So they would draw a large square to represent one whole, a line or a skinny rectangle to represent a tenth, and a small square or cube, sometimes even a circle or dot, to represent a hundredth. This model is a great way for children to go back and check their answers for accuracy. It's also a great bridge from a more concrete model to the symbolic model that they will eventually use for problem solving. 
However, in using this strategy, children have to be precise in their drawings, and they have to be careful not to let it get sloppy. Because if they draw, let's say, nine hundredths, but they can't see if they drew eight or nine hundredths because the dots are too small, or because they overlap or get sloppy, sloppy then this can make accurate problem solving a challenge. One other pictorial model that children often use for addition and subtraction problem solving with decimals is a 10 by 10 grid. I mentioned this model in episode 21, and there's a free downloadable version in the listening guides on my website, mathcoachconnection.com. I like this model because children will also use it for decimal multiplication and division problems, and also because it's closely related to a fraction model that children are familiar with showing that a whole is broken into equal-sized parts. It relates decimals to fractions, which is an important connection for fifth graders. This model works best for problems with numbers less than one whole, so addition and subtraction of decimal numbers in the tenths and hundredths place. But it can work with numbers slightly greater than one whole as well. It is not a model that children would use for problem solving with mixed numbers that are much greater than one whole. So to use this 10 by 10 grid, which by the way, children do not draw this model themselves. They usually use a pre-printed or copied version because it would take way too long to draw this for every problem. Although in a pinch, children could draw this model if needed. But with this grid for addition, children would model both numbers on the grid. Let's say the problem is 8 tenths plus 8 hundredths. Children would shade in 80 small squares to represent 8 tenths. This would also look like eight columns shaded in. This helps children see that eight tenths is the same as 80 hundredths. This knowledge comes in handy for problem solving later. Then they would shade in eight small squares to represent eight hundredths. Then they would look at the total number of squares shaded in and see that there are 88 hundredths shaded in. So the value of eight tenths plus eight hundredths is 88 hundredths. They would not need to count all the squares by one, so they could either skip count by tens or just know that when one column is shaded in, that's 10, so eight columns is 80. For subtraction with this model, children start by showing the first number. Let's say the problem is 72 hundredths minus 21 hundredths. They would shade in 72 hundredths first, then they would circle or cross off two of the columns, or two tenths, which is 20 hundredths, and then they'd cross off that last one hundredth. They could see that at the end, they still have five tenths and one hundredth left, so the value is 51 hundredths. Both of these physical and visual models were preparing fifth graders to be ready to solve these problems using a symbolic method, which typically is the standard algorithm. Once children build a solid foundation of conceptual understanding, then they can use this standard algorithm to problem solve addition and subtraction problems. Let's look at the problem 24.8 plus 3.24, or 24 and 8 tenths plus 3 and 24 hundredths. To solve this problem, a child would put 24.8 and 3.24 written vertically on top of one another. Now, this is tricky because both numbers have three digits, but the decimal point is in a different place, so they need to make sure to line up the decimal point. A helpful strategy is to make a decimal tower, which is just a long rectangle around both decimal points from the top number to the bottom number, so they know that it's lined up. So there would be a two in the tens place, a four and a three in the ones place, an eight and a two in the tenths place, and a four in the hundredths place. 
Another helpful strategy is to write the number 24 and 8 tenths and as 24 and 80 hundredths because 80 hundredths is the same value as 8 tenths as we proved in the visual strategy earlier. This helps us to line up the decimal point. Then to solve, you add together the numbers starting in the hundredths place, then the tenths place, then the ones, then the tens, regrouping along the way as needed. For subtraction, children can solve using the regular standard algorithm as well, keeping in mind that the decimal point needs to be lined up correctly for their answer to be accurate. Then, as always, estimation is essential for checking an answer for reasonableness. Whether in the context of a story problem or just looking at the numbers with no context, children can see that in my 24.8 plus 3.24 problem, they are essentially adding 25 plus 3. So their answer should be close to 28. If for some reason their decimal ended up in the wrong place and they ended up with the answer 2.804 or 280.4, they could see that that answer is not reasonable and that 28 and 4 hundredths or 28.04 is a reasonable answer to that problem. I want to pause for a moment and talk about one of the mathematical practice standards, which I discussed in more depth in episode four. But these standards talk about how mathematicians learn math, good practices and ways to behave as a mathematician. One of the practice standards says attend to precision. And this math practice standard could not be more relevant than it is when learning decimals. To problem solve accurately and efficiently, children need to focus on writing numbers clearly, on lining up the decimal point, on using rounding and estimating to assess the reasonableness of their answer, and checking their work along the way. They need to learn to be precise and check their work every time so that it becomes routine, and even just a slight mix-up of that decimal point can change the value of a number significantly especially when these decimals appear in multi-step story problems, where one decimal answer is then used to solve another part of the problem, this is critical. So helping your child focus on precision is very important. Now that we covered addition and subtraction of decimals, let's focus on multiplication and division. The goal for fifth graders is to be able to apply their efficient multiplication and division strategies from third and fourth grade to solving multiplication and division problems with decimals. However, that assumes that children have efficient multiplication and division strategies that they know how to use. If you notice that your child needs more support using multiplication and division strategies with whole numbers, then I recommend going back and listening to episodes 19 and 20 for some information on these strategies as well as ways you can support your child at home. Before children can use these efficient symbolic strategies, and I'm talking about the standard algorithm, long division, partial products, and so on, for problem solving with decimals, they need to conceptually understand what it means to multiply and divide decimals, which can be a bit of a puzzle to children. It's a little bit like rubbing your head and patting your belly, or patting your head and rubbing your belly, whichever one you've tried. It makes sense, but it's also confusing at the same time. There are a lot of aha moments when children are learning to multiply and divide decimals, but there are also a lot of huh moments as well. Story problem contexts actually make decimal multiplication and division problems make a lot more sense because children have something to anchor to. 
they can think about the parts of the story problem to make sense of what's happening and what their answer actually means. So I recommend using story problem context as a tool to help children make sense of these problems. For example, if a child is given the problem 8 tenths times 2 and 4 tenths without a context, it might be hard to think about what their answer means. But if they have the problem, Mr. Morrison bought 2.4 pounds of apples, he used 8 tenths of the apples he bought in an apple pie, how many pounds of apples did Mr. Morrison use in his pie? Then they can think about, okay, so 8 tenths of 2 and 4 tenths, okay, so he used more than half of his total apples, and then when they get the answer 1 and 92 hundredths, they know that one, it's 1 and 92 hundredths pounds of apples in his pie, and that makes sense because it's more than half of what he bought. Or if given the division problem, 13.5 divided by 9, without context, it can be confusing. What does the decimal mean? Where does it go in my answer? But if given the problem, Akio made $13.50 at his lemonade stand. If he sold nine cups of lemonade and charged the same price for each cup, then how much did Akio charge for each cup of lemonade? Then, when you get the answer 1.5, you can think about how that's $1.50 per cup of lemonade. And then it can't be 0.15 or 15 hundredths, because 15 cents would be way too cheap for a cup of lemonade. It also can't be $15, because that would be way too expensive. Although, to be honest, $1.50 for a cup of lemonade at a lemonade stand? Yikes, inflation has made these prices skyrocket, but you get the point. Given that story problem context, they can check their answer for reasonableness. It gives children something to anchor to and think about what does the decimal mean. And I could say this for any problem, any story problem situation. Story problems really help with building understanding, but it's especially important with multiplication and division of decimals. For multiplication of a decimal by a whole number and division of a decimal by a whole number, Children can use the decimal base 10 model that I mentioned earlier for addition and subtraction, and they can also use a quick picture. This only works well when the whole number factor is fairly small, and when the whole number divisor is also fairly small. Let's look at what I mean by that. So to model, let's say the problem 3 times 1 and 25 hundredths, a children would model 1 and 25 hundredths using base 10 blocks or with a quick picture, and then they would show that three times, which models three groups of one and 25 hundredths. Then they would add together all the hundredths, the tenths, the ones to find the total value. However, if the problem is 15 times one and 25 hundredths, then it would take quite a while to model this with blocks or even to draw a quick picture. It can be done, but it wouldn't be as efficient. On that same note, a child could model four and 84 hundredths divided by four, by modeling 4 and 84 hundredths using base 10 blocks or a quick picture. Then they can break it apart into four groups by breaking apart the hundredths by four, the tenths, and then the ones to get an answer of 1 and 21 hundredths. However, as the numbers get larger or less friendly, this model may not be as efficient. This model is a great place for children to anchor back to when they need to rebuild conceptual understanding, when they need to check their work, or when something isn't making sense. It's also a great place to start as children build decimal understanding before they launch into more efficient strategies. 
Fifth graders also use the 10 by 10 grid model that I mentioned earlier for addition and subtraction for solving decimal multiplication and division problems. As I mentioned in addition subtraction, it works best with smaller problems as well. For example, for four times three tenths, they can show four groups of three tenths, which would cross over into the next whole for a total of one and two tenths. They can use this model to compare four times three hundredths, which would only be 12 total hundredths. This model can also be used to divide. So let's say they have 96 hundredths divided by four. You'd start by modeling 96 hundredths on this grid, which would be nine full columns filled in with six additional hundredths, and then circle four groups of 24 hundredths. Or you can model 1.2 divided by four by circling four groups of three tenths. This model can also be used to represent multiplication of a decimal by decimal. However, this model is difficult to describe for that type of multiplication. I will include it in the listening guide for your reference, but overall as a parent or guardian, it's just important to know that this grid model can be used to solve decimal multiplication problems and division problems, so you might see it on your child's homework. Children can also use this model to represent other small division problems of a decimal by a decimal. For example, 1.2 divided by 0.3. They would draw 1.2 or 1 and 2 tenths and then circle groups of 3 tenths to see how many groups of 3 tenths they could circle. Or they can think of division as a missing factor multiplication problem and think how many groups of 3 tenths are there inside of 1 and 2 tenths. This model is very helpful for children for both multiplication and division for small decimal problems that closely relate back to basic facts or multiplication and division within 100. For example, fifth graders already know the answer to three times four, but this model can help them understand where to place the decimal and the meaning of the product in three tenths times four or in three times four hundredths and so on. And for division, fifth graders already know the quotient of 12 divided by three, but they can use this model to find the quotient of one and two tenths divided by three, or one and two tenths divided by four hundredths, and so on. These visual models, both the base 10 model and the 10 by 10 grid, were critical for building conceptual understanding of operations with decimals, so that children can understand these more efficient strategies that they will eventually use. As the numbers get larger in these problems, children realize that they need to move to more efficient decimal multiplication and division strategies, especially symbolic strategies using numbers. This is the point where it's very important that fifth graders have a lot of tools in their toolkit, if you will, for solving multiplication and division problems with whole numbers, because they will apply those whole number problem solving strategies to these decimal problems. Some of the symbolic solution strategies you might see include the distributive property, or breaking apart one factor and then multiplying the other factor by both parts. For example, in 24.5 times 6, you can multiply 24 times 6 and then 5 tenths times 6. The distributive property can also be used for division. For example, when solving 22.8 divided by 2, a child can divide 22 by 2 and then 8 tenths divided by 2 and put those partial quotients together to find the overall quotient. The distributive property bridges into more efficient strategies such as partial products and partial quotients. 
Both these strategies were discussed in depth in previous episodes. Episodes 19 and 20 have some great information on whole number multiplication and division strategies. So I won't go into too much detail here. I will include a visual model of what this would look like in the listening guide for this episode. Check it out in the download section of my website, mathcoachconnection.com. The final strategies that I will mention are the standard algorithm for multiplication and long division, which is basically the standard algorithm for division. These strategies were not required up to this point. Children did not have to use these strategies with whole numbers. However, they are very helpful for solving decimal problems. So oftentimes children learn these for the first time in fifth grade and then use them as their preferred strategy. It is important that prior to using these strategies, children understand how to use them with whole numbers, both accurately and efficiently, as well as have a solid foundation of conceptual understanding of decimals. Otherwise, this can be problematic and lead to computational errors and incorrect placement of the decimal. The main thing to know about the standard algorithm strategies with decimals is that your child needs to know how to deal with the decimal, if you will. Typically, when using these strategies, you get rid of the decimal at the beginning and then put it back at the end. But what does this actually mean? Children often say, I'm going to take away the decimal and then add it back in. Are they really adding when they place the decimal? No. So this actually means that you're multiplying your factors or your dividend and divisor by 10 or 100 and then dividing it back at the end. For example, in solving 2.8 times 14.2, both factors can be multiplied by 10 to make this problem 28 times 142. But then to get the product of the original problem, you need to divide the product of 28 times 142 by 100 because you multiplied each factor by 10 to get rid of the decimal, and 10 times 10 is 100. You might be thinking, whoa, that's confusing. When I learned how to multiply decimals, I just moved the decimal point two times to get rid of it and then moved it back two times to put it into my answer. Yep, that's exactly what children are doing now. But the goal is for them to understand why this works and the meaning of moving the decimal. Eventually, they'll learn to see those patterns and will be able to do it without thinking about that multiplication the whole time. But it's important that they understand what moving the decimal means. For division, getting rid of the decimal is similar. Children start by multiplying the dividend and divisor by 10 or 100 to get rid of a decimal. However, if they do the same thing to both the dividend and the divisor, so say they multiply both the dividend and divisor by 10, they don't actually have to change their quotient and put the decimal back in. For example, in the problem 2.8 divided by 0.2, if they multiply both the dividend and divisor by 10 to make the problem 28 divided by 2, then the quotient is 14 which is the same quotient as in 2.8 divided by 0.2. It's important for children to know that it is very challenging to solve a problem when there's a decimal in the divisor. So getting rid of the decimal in the divisor is a good idea. Even in the problem, let's say 102 divided by 1.5, they can multiply both the dividend and divisor by 10, even though there wasn't a decimal in the dividend, to make this problem 1020 divided by 15. Then once they solve, the answer is the same for 1020 divided by 15 
as it would be for 102 divided by 1.5, because the relationship between the two numbers remained the same. Children can use their estimation and reasonableness, especially in story problems, to assess whether their answer makes sense or if there needs to be a decimal. For example, in the problem, Harriet made $102 selling bracelets at the art fair. If she sold each bracelet for $1.50, how many bracelets did she sell? They could use estimation and rounding to say that their answer should be close to 50 because 102 is close to 100 and $1.50 rounds up to two, and 100 divided by two is 50 bracelets. So when a child gets the answer of 68, they know it's 68 bracelets, not 6.8 bracelets or 0.68 bracelets or 680 bracelets. So overall, with any symbolic strategy that children are using to solve multiplication and division problems with decimals, it's very important that they keep track of the decimal not just where it is, but what it means, and that they use estimation and reasonableness to check their answer to make sure it makes sense. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, that was intense. <laughs> there are a lot of strategies that fifth graders use to solve problems with decimals. So what can you as the parent or guardian do to support your child as they learn these complex new skills? At the fifth grade level, you won't be hovering over your child's shoulder, checking their homework answers. In fact, you shouldn't be doing that at any grade level. But especially with fifth graders, it is important for them to feel like they're building independent problem-solving skills. However, a great way to check in is to have them show you how they solved one problem from their homework. They can pick the problem. Maybe it was the hardest problem for them on their homework. Maybe the one they felt the most confident solving. Maybe the one with the largest answer or the smallest answer. You can get creative, but having your child show you how they solved one problem will give you insight into why they do what they do understand and what they don't understand yet. These strategies I mentioned next are great if you notice your child needs more support with any of the decimal operations that I mentioned in this episode. My first recommendation is to be patient and encourage your child to be patient with themselves as they learn. Encouraging patience and growth mindset through positive comments can really help support your child in this decimal journey. Another thing to do is to help your child anchor to what they do know. For example, if they're struggling to solve the problem 120 divided by 6 tenths, have them look at the root problem, which is 12 divided by 6. They've likely known the quotient to that problem since third grade, so now they can apply that understanding to this more complex problem. Using problems they do know as an anchor is a great strategy to help children build confidence in problem solving. Encourage your child to label their answers in their story problems and to always estimate and check for reasonableness. Labeling their answers or writing an answer sentence helps them check to see whether or not their answer makes sense and can sometimes clarify confusion that children have with story problems. My next suggestion is to give your child tools to use at home for problem solving. I mentioned this in episode 21, but often if your child has physical manipulatives such as base 10 blocks or a pictorial model such as a 10 by 10 grid that they use in the classroom, but then they don't have access to it for problem solving on their homework, they might struggle to solve those problems on their homework. And then they aren't really getting the practice they need. So you can simply provide your child with homemade base 10 blocks 
using a graham cracker square as one whole, small pretzel rods as tenths, and Cheerios for hundredths. It's not exactly as concrete as real base 10 blocks, but it gets the job done, and it's helpful for problem solving. You can also encourage your child to draw a quick picture of this model, or you can print off a 10 by 10 grid on my website, mathcoachconnection.com, for your child to use for problem solving. If you notice your child has a gap in understanding that's not related to decimals, but is impacting their work with decimals, for example, if they don't have an efficient strategy for whole number division, then I recommend going back and listening to the content-specific episodes at previous grade levels for ways to support your child in building those strategies. It is also important to support your child in keeping their work organized. One of the main reasons I see children solve decimal problems incorrectly is not a lack of understanding, but it's actually just sloppy work. Either they couldn't see where the decimal point was or they couldn't read the numbers they wrote and so on. You can't change your child's handwriting or whether they are organized or not, but you can provide them with tools such as grid or graph paper for problem solving. This way, a child can write one number in each grid square and give the decimal point its own grid square, so they're always keeping track of the decimal and can clearly read their work. This also helps your child's teacher read their work too, so they can see any misconceptions they need to address, and they also can get insight into your child's solution strategies. One other way to support your child with decimals is to give a context to a problem that doesn't already have a story problem and money is often a good one to use. For example, if your child has the problem 1.45 times nine on their homework, and they're having trouble figuring out where to place the decimal at the end, you could have them think about if, let's say they sold nine t-shirts for $1.45 each, how much total money would they make? Bringing in that money context is often a helpful anchor for children to make sense of decimal problems. I often get asked the question, is it okay for a child to use a calculator to check their answer, especially on homework? My answer is yes. However, children need to make sure that they actually solve the problem to the best of their ability before checking it on the calculator. But it is absolutely okay to show your child, hey, a calculator is a tool we use for solving problems in math. It's a real tool we use in the real world. Some people use a calculator at their jobs every day. Some people use a calculator in an Excel spreadsheet as a formula that they've written. It's a great way to check your work for accuracy. But then if you have the incorrect answer, it's important to use that and then go back to try to solve the problem a different way to see if you can figure out what went wrong. It's not okay to use a calculator to do the work for you, but it is okay to use it as a tool to check your work. If your fifth grader needs more support with decimal operations and is willing to play a game with you, then you can play a quick game of smallest number, biggest number. All you need are two dice, or you can use one dice that you roll twice, or you can make number cards on cardstock or post-its with the digits zero through nine. Then you need four cards that each have one of the operations on it. So one card with the addition symbol, one with subtraction, one with multiplication, one with division. To play the game, your child rolls, rolls both dice and creates the smallest number they can. Then they roll the two dice again and create the largest number they can. Then they have to put a decimal point in each of the numbers, but they get to choose where to put it. For example, if they first roll a two and a three, they should make 23 because it's smaller than 32. 
Then if they roll a one and a six, they should make 61 because it's the largest number they can make. Then they have a choice of where to place the decimal in each number. So they could do 23 hundredths or two and three tenths or 23.0, and they could do 61 hundredths or 6.1 or 61.0. After they make both numbers, they draw an operation card and they have to solve the problem using that operation. So let's say they picked two and three tenths and 61. They draw a multiplication card and then they'd have to multiply 2.3 times 61. Or they could add or divide or subtract. But depending on the operation card your child draws, help them think about the order of the numbers, whether the biggest number or smallest number needs to go first. So if they had subtraction, they would need to subtract 61 minus 2.3, or division would be 61 divided by 2.3. For multiplication and addition, you can use the commutative property so either number can go first. Then you and your child both solve the problem and compare your answers and explain your solution strategies. Next, it's your turn to roll the dice and do the same thing, modeling for your child that you're going to put the decimal point in different places in each number, so this doesn't just become a whole numbers game. This game will support your child in being flexible in their problem-solving strategies, as well as in building fluency with decimal problem-solving strategies. I know this was a lot, but fifth grade math is very complex and involved. So there are times where you might feel like you're on the show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? as your child comes home with challenging homework. But you can support them by using the strategies I outlined in this episode. I hope this episode was helpful for you in understanding the ways your child will problem solve with decimals, as well as the ways you can support them along the way. Stay tuned for episode 23, where I will wrap up season one of my podcast and discuss some exciting things coming for season two. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Dog Ate My Homework. Be sure to follow my podcast for more episodes and check out mathcoachconnection.com for more information and resources.